Okay, open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. I see that the whole left side has a strong light going down there. Well, I am uh, super excited about jumping into the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, I am halfway through the first chapter, and I am very clear that this is an uncomfortable Christian document that we are looking at here because it is it is going to turn our perception of success and comfort uh, on its head. And he is going to say a lot of things that pious people, you know, sort of sitting there would just go, mm, you know, just mm, that is deep. And a lot of other people would just say that is absolutely crazy. What you are talking about is Crazy. So, so what Paul is talking about here isn't normal life. Um, I would say it could be normal life for the Christian, um, but I, I, I don't think this is stuff that is talked about a whole lot in the church these days, and I think you'll see why in a few minutes. So here's a freebie. Um, when you are engaging in Bible study, I think one of the, the main principles of studying the Bible is if you see a word repeated, uh, you know that the the author of that passage wanted to emphasize that word. That's a really important word. Okay, so in the passage we're going to look at today, which is 1 Corinthians 1, 3 through 11, Paul uses the word affliction or suffering seven times, and he uses the word comfort ten times. So in nine verses, he uses affliction seven times, and he uses comfort ten times. So I'm going to tell you this morning, this passage is about affliction and comfort. I think that we can we can say that pretty pretty certainly. Uh, most of you are probably familiar with the prosperity gospel movement. So if you have cable TV or YouTube, you can at any time during the day tune in and find someone preaching that if you have enough faith, you will have a comfortable and successful life. And they will also affirm for you the reverse. If you're experiencing pain, suffering, sickness, poverty, and any other discomfort, then you are not living the life of faith. So it, it kind of sets up, this is the equation, blessing equals success, and trials, suffering, and affliction equal failure. All right. Now, I, I'm not saying that, I, I don't think any of you are struggling with, with a commitment to the prosperity gospel movement, um, but it's possible that for all of us, that kind of thinking has crept into our understanding of the gospel. Because how do we really view trials? Do you see trials in your life as evidence that God is displeased with you? Do you look around at other people who are comfortable and successful and happy and healthy and think, wow, they're really blessed? This, by the way, was the, uh, the, the comfort offered to, by Job's counselors to Job. Their, their whole equation for helping him was, just look at your situation. You must have done something wrong because righteous people don't suffer. And by the way, just, you know, when you're, when you're reading Job, know that Job's friends have no place for the cross, right? If righteous people don't suffer, then Jesus is an impossibility, okay? And so I, I think there's something in us that I... I I think I actually, in my heart, if I'm honest, I kind of want the prosperity gospel to be true because then it, it depends on me somehow, right? 
And, and, and I, if I do better, I will be rewarded. And it gives me the opportunity to sort of look at people who are suffering and say, yeah, what's, what's going on with them? What's, what's their problem? And so this is why I think 2 Corinthians is an uncomfortable document. Paul wants nothing to do with that view of success, and he's going to set us straight this morning uh, on the source and the purpose of suffering. Uh, One more thing by way of introduction. Uh, In the course of this letter, we're going to see that one of the biggest conflicts in the Corinthian church is that uh, the, the church is not very impressed with Paul. So he doesn't carry himself like what they think a successful man of God should look like. And they believe that his failures that they perceive, the suffering that he's enduring, must mean that he is a failure. So they're sort of, they're putting in the Job mentality, right? Of like, if you, Paul, if you just look at your life, something's, something's going wrong here. And, and Paul's point is, is perfectly summed up for us in verse 9. Just look at it. Because that's, if you want to highlight a verse and then go back and meditate on this whole Chapter in light of one verse, it would be verse 9. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So that's it. That's, that's the point. So Paul is saying, we thought we were going to die, but that was just a tool that God was using to help us depend on him more. Okay? So hear me now. Your best life now is a life lived in full dependence on God. That's what God wants to do for us. I believe the scriptures are clear. The purpose of affliction in the Christian's life is to draw us to him, to help us to see how much we need him, to help us to depend on him alone. Y'all, many Christians, I think it's safe to say, have never sniffed at the comfort we are talking about in this passage because they've never stopped to consider the source of the, of the affliction and the purpose of the affliction. All right, so this is, this is a fairly tightly reasoned section, all right? And so it, it contains a glorious truth, but we're going to work through it together, and I would just ask you to hang with me, because I'm, I'm really excited about it, and I think that this is some teaching that we really need to add to our tool chest, Okay, especially as we are starting out as a church. Okay, all right. So let's let's jump into the passage uh, and let's start with the source of our comfort, uh, verses three and the beginning of verse four. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Okay, and if you if you've been around me at all lately. I've been talking about this book, Happiness, that I've been reading by Randy Alcorn, because I can't stop talking about it. By the time it's done, I'm going to just have preached that book to you, uh, you know, somehow in conjunction with the other things we're doing. I think it's so good. Um, I think it is comprehensive, almost like a reference work, but I, I think it's a phenomenal thing. I mean, just that whole concept of, you know, God wants you to be holy and he wants you to be happy. He does not want you to be holy at the expense of your happiness. Anyway... If we went around the room this morning and said, what does the word blessed? So he says the blessed God, what does the word blessed mean? Most of us would say holy, consecrated, sacred. We would probably sort of set it into some kind of context like the blessed Virgin Mary, right? 
But the actual meaning of the word blessed, and, and this is the way the King James translators meant it, is happy. Okay? So even in the Beatitudes, happy is the man who... Over and over again. I I would contend everywhere you find the word blessed in the scripture, for the most part, you could substitute the word happy. We just read Psalm 1. Happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. All right. So God, this is is what we learned from this passage right here. Um, Paul is saying happy is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right. So, So I would ask you, have you ever thought of God as happy? What if I said to you that God is the happiest person in the universe? Jesus had little children who swarmed around him. Do you think that that was because he was a grump all the time? I think it was probably because he was a joy to be around. And there are places all over the Bible where the the, the writers of Scripture in Hebrew and in Greek speak of God as happy. And this is one of them. Literally, Paul starts this, this section by saying, happy is God. And God wants us to experience this happy life that comes from him. So, so why is this worth stopping on? Why do I stop on these three little words right here at the beginning of this passage? And that is, I want us to understand at the outset that God is for our good. God is happy and he wants us to be happy. And, and we need to contemplate how that changes our response to any circumstance we find ourselves in. Okay, And then also this, Paul is describing the character of God. This is what God is like. He is the happy God who is the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He is not trying to make our lives miserable. He's trying to stop us from seeking our happiness in places where we do not find that happiness. And if we're seeking our happiness in God, then we can experience great loss, great suffering, great affliction, and still rejoice because he never changes. And, and, and I think this is the perspective. I, I do not think that this is some like pie in the sky. I, this, I think this is the perspective of the, of the authors of scripture. And, I, and so I, I just want to continue to unpack that for you this morning. Okay, so, so this happy, merciful God is the one who provides us with all comfort. He is the God of all comfort. Where we find any true comfort in our afflictions, it is God who provides it. All right? So here's, here's the point as we start. First, first point. True comfort is possible for the Christian in whatever affliction or suffering or loss we may face. And I do not believe that the God of all comfort is kidding, us, is kidding around. He wants to comfort us in our affliction. Okay. All right. So let's leave that there. God wants to comfort us. It is possible to be comforted in our affliction. Secondly, the purpose of comfort. Okay. So we've seen the source of comfort. We see the purpose of comfort so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort, which we ourselves are comforted by God. All right. So it's a pretty big idea that God wants to comfort us in our affliction. Here's an even bigger idea. He does so so that we can be used to comfort others. Look at the passage. With so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So a lot of words there. Um, 
It, it, it turns out, y'all, our affliction is not about us. It's not. We could say this. It's not just about us. John Piper had a sermon that went around uh, a few years ago, kind of went viral, don't waste your cancer. Uh, I think we could summarize, summarize Paul's point here in this passage, don't waste your affliction. So the comfort we receive from God is meant to be shared with others. And y'all, this is Body Life 101. This is, this is what we want Hope Bible Church to be about. This is the equivalent of Paul's command in Galatians to bear one another's burdens, that we would be sharing each other's sufferings. So the, the implications here are twofold. And this is so challenging. This is so challenging for me, okay? Maybe I'm the only one. Maybe you guys are all like, no, we've been doing this for a while, Dave. I, I, this, this is very challenging to me, what I'm coming to understand through this passage. First of all, this. Those who have endured great affliction and who have received comfort must be ready to minister that comfort. You've got to have a stream flowing out. The illustration of the... No, I'm not going to go there. I got to watch the things that pop right into my head all of a sudden. Sometimes I have to edit. All right, so you got that. Those who have endured affliction and received comfort must be ready to minister comfort. Secondly, this is, this is the harder one, I think. Those who are in the midst of affliction must be willing to speak about their suffering so that other Christians can minister to them. We must be willing to share our suffering. And in 18 years, I have been in full-time Christian ministry now for 18 years, which seems crazy. I have watched helplessly over and over again as Christians have insisted on suffering alone. And sometimes it's someone else's sin. Sometimes it's sickness. Sometimes it's terrible loss. Sometimes it's what looks like failure at work, at parenting, at life in general. And if we hold to the prosperity gospel view of things, we retreat under those circumstances, right? Because we're failures. The, the prosperity gospel's standards says that affliction constitutes failure. And who wants to hear about how I was comforted in my failure? And it turns out the church needs to hear that. The church needs to hear about the comfort that we have received in those times. And I, I know some of us don't want to hear what I'm saying here. But the help that God provides in affliction comes in the form of other Christians. And when we retreat into the midst of pain, we are, den- we are denying ourselves a major means of God's grace that he has provided to us, which is the church. So the happy God, who is the God of mercy, comforts us and wants to provide us with streams of comfort through his people. And if we hide we miss out. All right? I told you, this is an uncomfortable Christian document. So, two things. Here's what we've learned so far. True comfort is possible for a Christian who seeks it from God. Secondly, your suffering is not just about you. All right, so these next three verses then, I've, I've sort of grouped these under the heading, the extent of comfort. So I think Paul is going to unpack these two These two points about comfort for us. Verse 5, comfort abounds in suffering. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Okay, so up till now, Paul has been talking, I think, about affliction in general. So, you know, we're experiencing pain related to sickness, loss, poverty, etc. 
Uh, and we can always look to help for, for others, for help, for comfort in those situations. And some of that help might be very practical. It might just be us meeting each other's needs or ministering to each other physically in some way. But verse 5 speaks about a very specific type of suffering. And that is Christ's suffering. So there is a type of suffering that is inevitable for us who are following Jesus Christ with our lives. Jesus warns his disciples. This is John 15, 20. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. And so this is the point we talked about a couple of weeks ago when we talked about when Jesus said, you know, who do I say that I am? And and he talked about the self-denial and the cross-bearing. And we said that Jesus, following Jesus does not promise any kind of life of ease and comfort. But, but, this is, this is so striking to me. That doesn't mean that the choices that we make to follow Christ should lead us to unhappiness or, or to lacking joy. Jesus actually teaches that the opposite is true, that there is happiness to be found by those who suffer for his sake. All right, so listen, let me read some passages to you. And I'm, I'm going to take the liberty of reading the word blessed as happy, okay? So that we're not like, you know, it's less like blessed and more happy, okay? That way, let's, let's read it that way, because that's, that's what the word means. Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's, those are the words of Christ. James 1.12 Happy is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. And then listen to Acts 5, 40 through 41. So the apostles had been brought together. They had been beaten. It says, when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. I see no reason to believe that this is play acting. I don't think that Luke is making that up. I believe that we can actually read Jesus's words to mean that he is inviting us into the happiness of following him, even if it means being persecuted for his sake. And I would go even further to say that Jesus is saying, you won't believe the happiness that is available when you suffer loss for my sake. And, and I know this sounds crazy. I go, I know this sounds crazy. But if you read the New Testament you begin to notice that the writers aren't just warning us about suffering, they're inviting us into it. Taste and see that the Lord is good. His promises are real. And if you've ever wondered what kind of understanding of the scripture could drive somebody to go to a place where they will almost certainly suffer loss, possibly even suffer the loss of their life, it's, it's this understanding of the scripture. And we may struggle to grasp this teaching this morning as we sit here in this beautiful setting, but I'll guarantee you, I'll guarantee you, people in other parts of the world already today have meditating on these, meditated on these scriptures and found great comfort and joy in them. All right, so we have three surprising truths so far. 
your comfort, comfort is possible for the Christian who seeks it from God. Your affliction isn't just about you. And now we have Jesus inviting us to suffer for his sake so that we can enjoy the comfort that he provides. All right? Let's keep going a little further. We have comfort activated by endurance. Verse 6. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. So that phrase, which you experience, it's a translation of the Greek word energized. So he's basically saying your comfort is energized as you patiently endure. So as we endure affliction, the comfort of Christ kicks in. So we're literally energized by the comfort of Christ as we endure. James 1, 2 through 4. Consider it all joy, my brethren, not if, but when, you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So how do we patiently endure? What is your first thought in the midst of affliction? And I would say for most of us, our first thought in the midst of affliction is, how can I get out of this situation the quickest? Very normal. And, and, I, and I would say that Paul, to some extent, is, is not saying that you shouldn't, you shouldn't take medicine when you're sick. You shouldn't go and find a job when you're out of work. This is not a command to stay miserable. All right? Where there is work to be done to alleviate affliction, wisdom dictates that we do that work. But what I want to set this in in terms of right now is our heart's response to trials. Where do our thoughts go? Where do we turn? And, And maybe in light of this passage, we could say, what gets energized in your soul when you are afflicted? Is it comfort in Christ or is it despair? And and I'm guessing, think of it this way. We can energize despair when we're frustrated by our circumstances, when we let our fears and our anxieties come crashing down upon us. When I become fixated upon my circumstances, I am energizing despair. So how will I pay the bills? How will I feed my family? How will I live With that person? How will I live without that person? How will I get this all done? And so, and we began to find that the idols where we have placed our hope, they don't have any real power. What do I do now that my reputation is trashed? How will I find find happiness? How will that person ever get what they really deserve? How will I ever get what I really deserve? And so, do you see how you can energize despair in how you focus on affliction? And Paul is saying that there's, a, there's another response. There's a, another response that takes our heart in an entirely different direction. Patiently enduring a trial yields different fruit. So it can be, Jesus Christ will not leave me or forsake me. My God will supply all of my needs. There is an inheritance beyond my wildest imagination awaiting me in heaven. My sins are forgiven. We can say with Paul, the worst thing that could possibly happen to me right now is that I would die. And then I would go to heaven. And so when we turn to God's word for help in our time of need, we are energizing the comfort of Christ in a way that y'all, I would say that believers for 2000 years have been enjoying. And finally, verse seven, 
confidence is gained as we share our suffering. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. So we talked about last week. Why doesn't Paul just move on from Corinth? Why doesn't he just say, I'm done with you? You know, I don't have time for all of this. You guys are a mess. I would say Paul is undaunted by the struggles of the Corinthian church. They are simply experiencing the successful Christian life, which is suffering that is comforted by Christ. And Paul, our father, is is confirming us into the image of his son. He is teaching us to depend on him. He uses affliction to accomplish that goal. And as we go through this process, hear me, brothers and sisters, we don't need to be embarrassed. And we should not run away. And we need to share those experiences with each other. All right, so quickly at the end of the passage then, verses 8 through 11, Paul shares his own example in suffering. I'm just going to read the whole paragraph. We'll just take it in a chunk here. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of of many. We don't know specifically what Paul is speaking of here. It's obviously some major trial. It was some suffering that reached the point where he, he believed he was about to die. He thought his time had come. And we've already talked about that verse 9 is very much the main point of this passage. The, the purpose was that God would cause him to rely not on himself, but on God who raises the dead. And so just very simply, y'all, the purpose of affliction is for God to put us into positions where we have to depend on him. And so our suffering undermines our trust in our human resources And Paul got taken all the way to a place where all he could do was trust in the resurrection. He said, all I've got, all I had at that point was to trust in God's promise that he raises the dead. And so Paul rests in the fact that God did deliver him. It's almost as if he's saying, I didn't die, so I got more work to do. I must have more stuff to do because God's going to keep delivering me. He's going to keep providing me with what I need until I'm done. And when I'm done, he's going to take me home. Can you imagine the freedom of living with that perspective? Can you imagine what that would be like? I, I'm, I'm going to serve God with everything I've got. And then when he takes my life, I'll know I'm done. And again, the worst thing that can happen in any circumstance is that I would die and go to be with him. You know we follow a king who raises the dead, right? That's a really, it's a really cool feature of following Jesus Christ. And I also believe, too, that faith is a muscle. It's a muscle. The more you exercise your faith, the more you find that God is a source of help that he promises to be. And so Paul sort of closes here. He says, he says, you must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So prayer is sort of the ultimate expression of this dependence. His final instruction is he's separated from Corinthians. He says, if you want to comfort me right now, you can pray for me. 
This is the time. This is the time to have to comfort me by your prayers. And so I would say to us today, when we don't know what else to do for a brother or sister who is experiencing affliction, we can pray and we can go to the Father on their behalf and ask him for the comfort that he has promised. And there's that word blessing again. He says, he says, for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Paul says that your prayers are a blessing to me. Simply put, it makes me happy to know that you are praying for me. And so do not dismiss prayer as a means of comforting the saints. All right, let me tie this up here. So, as I mentioned to start, I know this, this is in very stark contrast to the world that we live in. It is in very, we cannot just snap our fingers and start thinking like this. We are going to, to pull out of Wesley Gardens Retreat Center and we're going to be bombarded with all of the, the worldly things that draw us away from this perspective. Okay, so, so, so I want Hope Bible Church to be a place where we are constantly spurring one another on to think this way. And, and, and I, I do not think that this is unattainable. I think that with God's help, I believe that these things are possible. In fact, I believe that this is a life that has been enjoyed by, by the faithful, by those who have truly come to understand what it is that Paul is saying here. Okay, So let's just, let's just unpack this just real quick. What is comfort? What is this comfort? And the primary reality of our comfort is our standing with Christ and our relationship with God. We know God. Jesus prays in John 17. He says, I I ask that you would give them eternal life. What is eternal life? That they would know you. Y'all, if nothing else, we know Christ. We We are forgiven. We are going to be with him. He has gone to prepare a place for us. We know these things. Listen, I just, I just read through Psalm 119 just briefly this week. Listen to a couple of things. This is from the psalmist. This is before the cross. Re- remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life. What is my comfort in my affliction? That I have life in Jesus Christ. If nothing else. That's what we know. He says in uh, verses 67 and 68, Psalm 119, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are, do, you are good and you do good. Teach me your statutes. All right, so objectively, the comfort that we have is we have been chosen by God. We are favored by him. We have been relocated from a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light. We have been freed from bondage and we have been freed from the chains of sin that lead to unhappiness. Sin leads to unhappiness. And then subjectively, we're covered by the righteousness of Christ, but sometimes our old habits persist. We indwell, we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, but we're still battling unholiness. We're guaranteed an inheritance with God that includes eternal life, real prosperity, health, and vitality and pleasures in God's presence. I've been writing a, um, a little blog post for somebody um, on adoption this past week. And uh, he's here, but I don't think he'll mind me sharing this story. Uh, I, I, am, I often am reminded of our experience in adopting Archie. Um, that, so we, we identified him. And we knew we were going to adopt him, and we were pursuing that. And we, we had a bed for him, 
and we had a blanket for him, and we had clothes for him that were all in our house. But he was still in China. So it's like, in a sense, he had all of these things that were, that were stored up for him in our house. And it was just a matter of us going and, and, and getting him and bringing him home. And then as soon as he came home, those things became his, right? And that's what we have to look forward to. Like, God has stored up for us in heaven things that he has for us. He has built a place for us. It is perfect for us. I, I didn't know what Archie liked. I didn't know the things he wanted, but I, I did my best. God knows exactly what you like. God knows, exa- God knows better than you do what he has fitted you to enjoy for all eternity. And those things are waiting for us. You don't need a bucket list. You have all eternity to enjoy the things that God will put in your hearts to do. So the source of our comfort is this happy God who is merciful. And then how is it ministered? It is ministered through other Christians. And so I would ask you this morning, are you willing to receive Christ's comfort in the midst of affliction? Here's the big one. Are you willing to share your suffering for the good of this body? Or are you going to keep your suffering to yourself to the detriment of the rest of us. We need you to share the comfort that you are receiving through Christ. And for some of us, this is going to mean laying it out there in a way that we are not used to doing. Um, But that's what Paul tells us to do. So the antidote to affliction is, is simple, I think. It's not easy, but it's simple. Knowing God and the knowing and being known by others. And I would suggest... A lot of us are sort of living with a stool that doesn't have all three legs, all right? And if you've got a stool that doesn't have all three legs, knowing God, knowing and being known by other people, you're, you're going to fall down, all right? It's difficult to stay upright. And, and, and let me just be clear about this too, just before we're done, because I want to make sure I've, I've, I've helped to understand as best I can. Suffering, affliction, poverty, sickness, these things do not indicate failure, And they certainly do not indicate that God isn't blessing you. They could actually indicate the opposite. That God is very happy with you and that he wants you to enjoy his happiness even more by depending on him. And then one final question as we close. What would it look like to the world if they witnessed us truly bearing one another's burdens? What would that be like the world desires comfort in the worst way people just want to be happy and our testimony of christ will be greatly magnified when we are living lives that are satisfied in him the angels who announced the birth of christ at his arrival they said peace on earth goodwill toward men that's what he's bringing and i'm telling y'all I, I don't think that was just so we could have some really nice calligraphy on our uh, Christmas cards. I, I, I think they really meant that. And we believe that this life is possible through Jesus Christ and that if we live this way, we can be a light to the world. So let me pray and then uh, we'll take the Lord's table together. Father, Lord, help us to understand these things. These are, these are things that we know are true 
we would ask you to help our hearts be convinced of their reality. So would you, have, would you give us the grace, Lord, to understand these things, to set our hope firmly in what we have in Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.